All right. We will be in Hebrews 10. Um, but, but, so you could stay there in Hebrews 10 if you're there. Uh, it'll be very good if you're looking at Hebrews 10 there. Uh, but before that, I want to kind of set up the series that we're in. We just finished uh, 10 weeks in the Minor Prophets uh, last week. We finished up Amos, and it was a joy, um, a dark joy, but a good, uh, a good time for us to, uh, to be in that uh, there. The next four weeks, this week and the next three, are going to be kind of a, a, an annual kind of alignment, reminder, what it is that we do as the Parkview people of God. Uh, the things that we, that we do, there's a sign out in the foyer. Uh, this will explain a lot of the words that are there. Gather, grow, go. So we're going to take one of those for the next three weeks. This week is going to be gather, uh, and then we'll then to be into go, or grow, and then go, and then we'll have the, uh, the kickoff to kind of celebrate how we do that here. So uh, we're going to be going through this series. So Hebrews 10 is really going to be talking to us about uh, how we gather to worship. What is it that we are doing when we, when we come here together? What are we doing uh, as, as kingdom people? Um, and, I, and I would suggest here today, you'll hear it a lot, that we are, the church is a gathered people to be an outpost of hope to the world around us. So um, we will be reading this scripture here. So out of reverence for God's word, if you are physically able to, I'd ask that you stand as we read the word that, uh, of God as he's revealed himself in Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 26. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So uh, there is a, a, a picture. We can, we can put that up here. Um, as you know, I like pictures. Uh, and this is a picture that I have for the text we just read. Here we go. Um, this is going to be our, our outline. This is, this is the outline. Four-point outline right there. You can guess the points. Um, no, there is, there's this idea that we see here um, in, in Hebrews of this, uh, this gathering of people. What is the church? What is the gathering of God's people for, for worship? I really think that it's this idea of, uh, of outposts of hope. The church is an outpost of hope. Um, and so you see, you know, on, on the one side we have, uh, on both sides, I guess, we have uh, this, this, this outpost, and it's got this nice little flag, hope, there, just to clarify the diagram. Uh, we have a, an outpost of hope. We see what's going to happen here in, in, or in Hebrews 10 is there's this shift that happens. So people want hope in something. People need hope in something. I'm not going to ask you, why are you here? What, do you have hope? Are you looking for hope at church? You are. It's just a reality. You're looking for some kind of hope, whether you knew it or not, it's just what kind of hope are you looking for when you're here? That's probably the better question to ask when you go to church. What kind of hope am I looking for, and does Christ offer that? And so there's something that happens. There's this outpost of hope. We go somewhere. We default to this, this, this side on the, uh, on, the, on the left side of the screen, uh, that, our, that our hope and this outpost of it is, is oftentimes we're prone to have it situate and be, be located in ourself. Uh, things that are like us, things that are, that are of, of the moment, things that are of, of like minds, 
And, and, and we look toward that. We want to find hope in this world. But Hebrews 10 is going to show us the beauty of the church in its design when we shift that locus of hope, that location of hope to Christ. Now, I know that's something that seems pretty simple, but I want to go through that here because it's wonderful to get the basics of our faith, the basics of our gathering down so we understand what we are doing. See, the church is an outpost of hope. We've lo- uh, but we've, uh, we've lost hope uh, in anything external. That was something that we talked about a little bit with the Enlightenment uh, uh, here in this past hour, uh, a little bit with this, um, this idea that, that really all I can know is, is, is from within. And so I'm going to find hope from within. And I'm going to reject the things that are outside. That's kind of the situation. That's the historical moment that we're in. And we're going to find as we go through this text that that, that doesn't check out, that doesn't help us in any way that actually puts us further toward despair, not toward hope. In Hebrews, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is superior to many things. So since we just parachuted right into Hebrews, here's kind of a synopsis of what Hebrews is saying. Jesus is bigger and better than anything you ever imagined. He's, he's the better priest. He's, he's the better prophet. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better, in this text, he's the better way of living. It says that we can, uh, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the new and living way, Jesus is that new and living way. And so I want to get to this point here, and I want to look at four aspects of this. I want to look at this, this, the big red arrow there. Why that shift? Like, why is it good and better for us to make that shift so that we find our hope in Jesus, not in ourselves? And then we'll look at kind of that's the reason, and then we'll look at the results of that. When we do make that shift as a church, as a people, it's going to affect our confidence. It's going to affect our hope. It's going to affect our love and how that plays out. But something happens when we shift. It revolutionizes the way we live. So let's take a look. So we'll start here in verse 19, 19 uh, verses uh, 19 and 20 and 21. The move to Christ. That'll be our first point. The move to Christ. We gather because of Christ. Our passage starts here. You can follow along. Therefore, that's all we need to read. Uh, the, uh, therefore, it signals that common uh, New Testament turn toward the implication and the working out of the theology before that. We've read nine chapters of, of, of Hebrews, if we've been reading today. Um, nine chapters of Hebrews. And then we get to this point, he says, therefore. Because of everything I just talked about, Jesus being amazing... Now we're going to see what the results are of this. Verse 19 and 21, then, uh, incredibly reduced cliff notes here. It says, You are a sinner, but there is a new and living way to be right with God. And that new and living way is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. So here are three reasons why this shift is necessary for us, uh, not as Christians, but as people. Why we must all move to Christ. Because, point one, the move to Christ is a move to an historical reality. You note here, uh, if, if you just skim back, if, you, if you've got your you know, Bibles, you can scroll back, you can, you can kind of look back. The word Christ is all over the book of Hebrews. Christ, the Messiah, the, the promised one, the one that's going to come and fulfill this. And when we're in the book of Hebrews, which is written to the Hebrews, the Jews, a very Old Testament context, we're going to talk a lot about this Messiah. If we're, going to, if we're going to make this case. But all of a sudden here, we get to this spot where it says in verse 19, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ, 
No, by the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't want to go too far on this, but I do want to make a point here. By the blood of Jesus. There's, there's a switch here to Jesus that we must remember that it's not just this ethereal, uh, 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 up in the clouds, this idea of this Savior God that's up there, this Christ Messiah figure. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the historical figure, that even outside of Christianity, this, this person is real. We have non-Christian historians saying Jesus of Nazareth did some stuff and said some stuff, and it revolutionized the people. This Jesus, it happens, uh, of, of history, it happens that his blood did something unheard of. We move to Christ because it is a move to a historical reality. But what happened in that historic reality is also a spiritual reality. You see, we, we see Christ as that sacrifice, and we can enter into the holy place. So, so okay, I'm going to pause there. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So there's an altar, and, and then you throw out, we'll, we'll go with a lamb. That's a great one uh, for this one, or lamb of God. He calls himself lamb of God. I am that on the altar, and the priest would come up, and he would, he would cut it in half. He would open it up. And we sacrifice it, and blood would spill. So I, I'm saying a lot of things that you need to have in an imagery. It's not a pleasant thing. We don't do that today because Jesus did. But that's the imagery we've got to be thinking of. There's an altar. There's a lamb who's been cut open. And then there's a priest that's preparing that for the atonement of people. Now I'm going to do that one more time. Okay, so there's an altar called a cross. And then there's this lamb that's on it. And you, and you, and you cut it open. And the priest offers it up for the atonement of people. That's just a different thing that we're doing here. Because of the blood of this historical person, we now have confidence to enter into a holy place. What is that holy place? By the new and living way. He has opened up in himself a way for us to walk through. And this way to walk through, he likens this then in a, in a historical event that happened when Christ was separated, when Christ was uh, killed, was slain on the cross for our sins as the sacrifice so also in the temple, there was this curtain, and that curtain at that time was cut open, and the way of God, God being behind it, it protected us from God's, God's, uh, God's wrath, God's holiness. It protected us from everything that was, was there. And in that act, that act, and now people can draw near with confidence to God. We don't need to be protected by this curtain. So Christ is this sacrifice. So this real person had this spiritual reality change. But this isn't just a thing for us. This outpost of hope needs to shift to Christ, not because we believe in this spiritual event that happened a long time ago. There are a lot of spiritual events that happened a long time ago that we don't care about. Um, the difference with Christianity is that this is an ever-present reality. It's not just a spiritual event in the past. It's right here. He says, by the new and living way, this is verse 20, uh, that he opened up through the curtain that is through his flesh. And now this is the point I'm making, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is wild to me. So Christ, as we know, is the sacrifice for the atonement of our sin. Christ is the priest with the knife sacrificing himself. He, he's up on the cross and he is mediating between God and us in that moment. 
But he is ever present because we know that he has been resurrected and now he serves as our priest. He now is standing between God and us always at this moment saying, I guess the same things he said as sacrifice on the cross, forgive them, they know not what they do. He is always in our corner. He is always fighting for us. He is always pleading on our behalf in the legal court of God saying, innocence on them, because I've taken that guilt. I've taken that punishment. That is different. That is why we need to shift because the common reality is that we're all sinners. We've all done something or some things. And we've done those ongoingly. We need to shift to something that's beyond us. We need to get out of ourselves. And the only thing that could ever provide that lasting hope The only way that Parkview Church could ever be that outpost of hope for the world around us that needs hope is if we go outside of ourselves and see how God speaks of us. And this is how God speaks of us. This is what we need to be as a people who gather together. And that fundamental reality changes everything with our confidence. It changes everything with our hope and it changes everything with the way that we love. So we'll look at those results now Uh, of of what happens when we shift to being an outpost of hope that is located in Christ. So point two, I guess, is relocated confidence. They have really great titles for these main points. Relocated confidence. Uh, We draw near because of Christ. So uh, I'll read verse 22, but we'll get into it uh, through, through 19. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's pretty strange language. Uh, this, is, this is taking us back to this Old Testament sacrifice. This is very different than the world's confidence. Since we have confidence to enter this, let us draw near with full assurance. See, when our hope is located in ourself, we find confidence in validation. I'm okay because I'm not alone. That's kind of what we're going for. I'm okay because there are people like me. I'm okay because my tribe says so. When we, uh, what ends up happening, though, when, when we're looking for validation, when we're looking to, to see that we're not alone in the way we think or, the, or what we do, we, we, we definitely tend toward tribalism, and we are definitely there as a society today. But what ends up happening is that we don't really have confidence We just have fear that we're outside of validation. And so we're endlessly left checking in with our tribe to make sure we're status quo in our politics, in our fashion, in our parenting, in our retirement, in our leisure, in our finances. Are we keeping up with the Joneses? That's where we go if we put our confidence in ourself and those people that are like us. We feed on each other's opinions. But here's kind of a, I don't know, a morbid you know, uh, illustration here is what happens if we all die? Well, so does the status quo. I don't want to put my confidence in something that if we're all gone just disappears. We are maintaining this, this, this weird thing called the status quo that's all dependent on us believing in it and doing that. Why don't we believe in something that doesn't matter what we think? Why don't we believe in a reality that's deeper than that, Jesus Christ? That is why we need to shift. This is is a difference from the world's hope. We need a new and living way. From where does Christian confidence come? 
It comes from the purifying work of Christ's blood. That's what we're reading here in Hebrews 10. It comes from the purifying work of Christ's blood. Verse 22 has so, much strange, uh, so many strange words for the modern ear. These words, however, continue the imagery of the Old Testament sacrifice in which uh, include the priest sprinkling blood on those in an act of holiness. So, uh, so this was a practice there. We would take the blood uh, with some hyssop and some water, and we would sprinkle things, and they would be declared holy. Uh, we'd sprinkle the altar. We'd sprinkle uh, the scrolls or the scripture. We'd sprinkle the people, which sounds kind of gross, but I guess that's how it, uh, that's how it works. It's an image of this holiness that's happening here. We can look to, I guess, Leviticus 14, Numbers 19, for, the, for an extension of this practice but we have an explanation right here in, in Hebrews 9. If you have a paper Bible, I guess, or I guess you can scroll back there too. Uh, Hebrews 9, 18 through 22, you can take a note there. Therefore, the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And then this Hebrews 9 explains how Moses, as priest, went and sprinkled to make things holy. And so we're right on the heels of that. So the people would have been hearing this and thinking this. But then he says in verse 22, Hebrews 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we'll get to that. I just keep thinking about that. I'm going to give an illustration here to, to, to help us. Last week, my family went to uh, the Coralville Pool. You know, it's kind of like last week we're doing, it's great. If you, ever, if you haven't been to the Coralville Pool, go. It's real fun. Um, so there's, there's a thing though. Uh, it was kind of a colder day. It was, uh, it was, it was windy. Um, and if you've ever been there, uh, you can feel what I'm about to say. Otherwise you can just laugh at me because I'm weird. Um, they have this like watery fountainy thing and you just kind of swim around in it and, and it's, you know, whatever. But when there's wind, it like blows this like freezing cold ice breeze at you and it's awful. So I'm like freezing by the time I get to the water. Uh, I'm like, I'm not getting in. I put my feet in, super cold. Um, it's like, okay. And my kids are just like, ah, it's great. And they run in. They're like, dad, come join us. I'm like, okay, now I look like I'm weak sauce. Uh, so what I do is, uh, what I do is I, I pull the win-win. This is my strategy at the Corvo pool. Uh, so I go to the toilet bowl slide. Uh, it's like that orange one that you like go down and you spin around and you drop in. Win-win. Here's why. Because it dumps me in the water. So I don't have to do the like wade into the zero entry, which is awful. Uh, and, uh, and then the other win-win is that my kids are like, ah, dad just fell out of the toilet. That's funny. And so they love me. So it's great. But then I get up and I walk over to the pool and I look down. I'm like, hey, I'm already wet. Let's go in. I, I, I got rid, I got done with that thing. And so I don't have to worry about that part. Well, I think in a very bizarre way, that is kind of like what we're talking about here in Hebrews. It's as though we, we, we are pursuing on, we're going on, we're trying to draw near but we could be terrified because if, if we are sinners in the presence of God as he has revealed himself, that's not going to happen. Death, that's what happens when sin goes in the presence of a holy God. But because of what Christ did, because he is sprinkling us with this blood, with this water, what ends up happening is though we look down and we say, okay, are we going to zero entry this? Yes, because what does it say here? Verse 21. Let us hold fast to the, uh, or sorry, uh, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance with faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed pure. We can look down and we can say, all my guilt and my shame and my sin has been washed. And what do I see on me? I see the sprinkled blood of Christ saying, you're good. Go ahead with confidence. 
Man, that is great. That is not like how anything else in this world talks. That is great hope that we can go to the one who made us. We can go to the one who loves us. We can go to the sovereign God of this world and we can look down and say, this is terrifying. Oh, but Christ got it. He's washed me clean and he's marked me. I mean, if you, if, if you leave, you know, the children's museum, you, you mark with that, that little marker. You can say, hey, I've got entry. We can go. You can show the, show the thing, the black light, and we're in. I can go ahead. This is the confidence that we have in Christ. I'm good in Christ. And we can approach with confidence. This is an echo. Chapter 10 is an echo of Hebrews 4.16, which says, Let us there then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the, in the time, uh, and to help in the time of need. The world needs a people who think this way. The world needs hope like this. They need confidence like this. If we are, are, are only looking for validation, if we are only looking for hope in our tribe, it's going to go away. Uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced that. I know I have, where you get your friend group, and they say you're awesome, everything you think is awesome, and then you all like get married or move or go to college or whatever it is, and then you're left with all these people that are like, you're not awesome, and that's kind of minority opinion. Um, that's tough. And we're just going to keep doing that as we, as we keep going through life. But who is there always reminding us of that confidence? You've you got to put that confidence in the fact that you may be different than this person or that person, but ultimately what matters is that we confidently approach the throne of grace. No longer confident in the status quo, but confident in Christ alone. Point three, relocated hope. As we shift from our hope in ourselves to our hope in Christ, we see that it, that it, that it re, uh, reforms, it repurposes, it refashions hope itself. We hold, we hold fast to a hope in Christ. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's so much there. Man, I wish I could preach this thing for like eight days. There's so much. Uh, here we go. We'll try it in five minutes. Um, we are people who live in the moment. Uh, and that's kind of when we put our, when our, when we put our, our faith, when we put our hope in, uh, in us, uh, we're really left to the moment. We're prone to chase hope like fast fashion. Here's a great definition for you. Fast fashion is, this is a Google definition, inexpensive clothing produced rapidly by mass market retailers in response to the latest trends. So uh, if I don't get in trouble with them, I might say companies that are similar but not the same name as New Navy would be one. Um, or, or M and H could be another one. Uh, this is fast fashion. Um, you, you, get, uh, you get that kind of idea. Expensive clothing produced rapidly to mass market in response to the latest trends. We live in the moment and our stuff's cheap because the moment changes and it's okay that, you know, uh, that we just throw it away because then we get some more and we don't worry about all the waste we're creating, but we just live in the moment so that we can look good for the moment. That's what happens. We're prone to do that. But where does that go when, uh, when the real stuff of life happens? I mean, that's just a facade. That's just fake, uh, you know, uh, doctoring up stuff. What happens when the real stuff hap- uh, comes? When it comes knocking at your door, the, the not so t- uh, neat and tidy stuff. Things like death, unemployment, divorce, or any kind of relational breakdown. 
moral failure, disobedience, cancer, uh, maybe one of the worst ones, loneliness. What happens when that's at your door? You can't fast fashion your faith. You can't find enough verses to, to pump you up if you're just using Christianity and not actually in Christ. We need a new and living way. We need to be firmly planted and founded in Christ if we're ever to have a real and lasting hope. Here are a couple of verses here. Uh, Hold fast to, cling to, never let go of the confession of our hope. What is our hope? First Peter 1, 3. You can follow along here on the screen. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christian hope is not in our present circumstance. First Peter 1 says, it is founded in the historical res- resurrection of Jesus that changes the spiritual reality. Because Christ died and was born again, or r- rose again, we can die to our old self and be new. We're not throwing away our fast fashion. We are being completely renewed with something that lasts. We are born again to Christ. But it's not just something that's, uh, that, that's in Christ's saving work. There is hope there, great hope there, but there's also another aspect of it. Our hope is not only in the past reality, but it also anticipates the future reality, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So right now, that tells us what we're to do as we await for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been born again. We now get to work today in self-controlled, upright, and godly lives as we anticipate the glorious return of our Christ, the glorious return of a historical figure, Jesus, because he is our Savior and he has proven it. Man, this is something different. I, I know that I'm talking like crazy. If, it, if you don't make that shift to Jesus, then this sounds bogus, but this is a reality, and this is what the world needs. We, we kind of talk about this like Christians, you know, this is opiate for the masses. This is great for us to think about and, and feel good about ourselves. This is actual reality, and this is how Parkview Church aligns itself with that idea that we are an outpost of hope for the nations. Our neighbors need this hope. This is deeply rooted in reality, and it means something for them today for their spiritual lives. It means something for you, for your spiritual life today. So this hope as a resurrection people anticipating Jesus's return. But this hope's not only rooted in our tradition, because what is the end of Hebrews 10, 23? That's the text that we're actually uh, looking at here. Uh, It says, for he who promised is faithful. And this is where it just goes, it just blows the roof off of our hope. You can read along on the screen. Hebrews 6, 13 through uh, 19. that's, That's the bigger passage. We're just taking a snippet. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, his promise, the promise he made to us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope before us. I'm gonna pause there. God makes an oath to us. He makes a promise to us on his name, and on his word. These are unchangeable things. And because he puts it on himself, he doesn't have to appeal to something higher. If I make a promise to you, I'll say, I promise to you, and I'll write a contract because that's bigger than my word. 
He just says, it's on me because I am the biggest and I don't change. And so because of that, you can trust my promise. My promise is that you will be saved when Christ returns, that you will be okay, that you can look down, you can see yourself washed, you can see yourself sprinkled, you can go ahead. This is the hope that we have. This is a promise that we have. Then we can go ahead to the next slide. This is continuation of that, that passage. We have this as sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Oh, how great is that? That is so potent. I would challenge you, if there's one scripture that you like, just sit down and slowly read and go through, read what's on the screen. Uh, Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. Read that slowly this week. Think about it. Read Hebrews 10. Think about it. Can I actually do it? Can I actually approach God without fear? Because I really believe in Christ. It's always a good thing to do. You may have been a Christian for, for years, but where am I not approaching God with confidence because I'm not believing Christ has that aspect of my life. Maybe that's another one. You think sometimes we become Christians because we say, eh, hell, this is scary, save me. And that's some form of salvation. Or, uh, but we don't get the whole breadth of who Christ is. Maybe, maybe don't be comforted uh, by the fact that you're just saved. Be comforted by the fact that you haven't explored everything there is to your Savior. Go into that that he is even bigger than you thought. And this is a great one. I don't know. It's just a quick application there. If you, if you want to read one thing, read that. So we see that uh, as we shift our hope, as we are an outpost for hope from ourselves to Christ, we see that it transforms our confidence, our hope, and now we're going to look at our love uh, very, very quickly here. So part, or, or I guess uh, point four is relocated love. We consider how to stir up one another in love. Let's read this. This is our last verse, uh, a couple of verses here. And uh, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I think this is, this is kind of the, the thing that brought us to using this text as gather, is not neglecting to meet together, but that's only a subset of the bigger, uh, the bigger idea here. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I'll just go, uh, grammar nerd, if we read this uh, phrase here uh, slowly, we're going to see that it's, let us consider how to do this, not to love one another. That's a different command. This one is how to stir up one another in love. This is a difference, I, I believe, in, in, in the Christian hope, in the Christian love. It's that we're saying that God loves me so much, but his, his love kind of runs through Christ to me. And so that love needs to run through me to others. And so I could love you, and that could be the end. And so my expression of love to you, there we go. Check the box, I'm done. But it says even more than that. It's saying, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, through my love, I am going to lovingly teach you how to love others and how to teach others to love others. It's going beyond that. So I could love you and do something for you and pray for you or, or whatever it would be. But he's saying it's bigger than that. We need to reach out and teach people, teach each other, show each other how to love one another, to stir each other up into love and good works. It's not enough to do that myself. This is contagious, and it goes out. This is how we can be an outpost of the hope. And I want to pause here because there's, there, there's some great ways that we can do this. Um, so here's a quick stat at, uh, at North Campus. 
35% over the last, you know, since uh, January, 35% of, of our regular, you know, attenders in a given service, 35% of us are children. So they're us being them because they're gone now. Um, so uh, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot. We have a lot of opportunities there. Our rooms are bursting at the seams, um, as you can tell. When they come back, you'll see we fill up again. Uh, we've actually had to make, uh, so I guess the first thing is um, we've scheduled, we've got a bunch of kids. We're, uh, and Mary's doing a great job of restructuring this to make it you know, feasible for the, uh, for, for the people. That's a great way to teach the next generation to love, to stir up the love in another one, to teach them those, those truths. If you could even give a, a, a week, a month, one Sunday during, during their, their teaching time to, to do that, reach out to Mary. Uh, write that on your Connect card. It's so helpful when, when we get people in the nursery, when we get people in the classrooms just to, just to help out. We've got lead teachers, we've got assistant teachers, you know, kind of everything that's there. Uh, it, was, it, it would be a huge help as we are, as we are bursting at the seams. Um, to, uh, to, to get some more people rallied to that effort. Another thing that's happened because we're bursting at the seams is that uh, we've actually uh, ha- have to move our, our, our fourth uh, through sixth graders. We're going to be moving them to, um, to, a, uh, to a Tuesday night thing uh, so that they can have something because we've got to spread out the kids even more. Uh, it's just a size issue for us. And so this is, this is uh, something where we really want to make a, a great time for them. Uh, we've got a couple people that have already stepped up and said, hey, we'll, we'll jump in on this. We'll help out with this Tuesday nights. Uh, 6.30 to 7.30. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the, uh, and so Tuesday night, 6.30 to 7.30 here. If that's something you could help with, uh, we've got some teachers, we've got some, some people that are helping, you know, with kind of the, the small group discussion or whatever. We're still kind of forming this idea. If that's something that you could help with, please help. Uh, we, we need that help. This is a way where you can either directly or indirectly help to stir up love in others, to help us tra- transition that love of Christ, what we're talking about. This gives hope to a generation who is growing up very, very hopeless. We need to give them an anchor, and this is one of the great ways to do this. Uh, community groups are another one. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the weeks to come. Uh, we've just seen so much goodness that happens uh, in the, so much opportunity there. The equipping hour, just sitting next to people talking about that same content is, is so good. Be looking for those. Uh, here's a quick, uh, if, if none of that is like, I don't want an ongoing commitment. You have about 10 minutes from the time we dismiss till the time you get to your car, maybe. Hopefully it's like a half hour because you just talk all the time. Um, grab one person and have a conversation. It's going to be inconvenient because you maybe didn't budget time for that. Do. Just have a quick conversation. Meet somebody. And then as one of our house rules is, meet somebody, know somebody. Come back the next week. Remember their name. Pray for them. Ask them how they're doing. Uh, those are great ways in which we can stir up love in one another. They're very simple, practical ways in which we can do that. But this is, this is a great opportunity we have, but it's different than just loving. And so that's kind of the trajectory of the love is, is reaching beyond just me loving you. It's teaching others how to love and, and, and modeling it for others so that we can be a people who have a culture of love rather than just uh, a checklist of loving things we need to do. And this is different than the world's love. I think when we, we situate our hope in ourselves, we end up loving the things of ourselves. We actually end up showing love, and it's, it's kind of this weird like, exchange where if I love you, then, then you're going to love me back, and if I ask you for critique, you're going to give me critique, but not so hard that it breaks our relationship so for my better. It, it, we're going to stay in the boundaries of, of etiquette and, and, and niceness, and that's something that we do a lot. We do that as Christians, but we especially do that in the world. This is a love for the other person to connect to God. That is a different kind of love. 
When my love is that you think I'm loving and you like me because I'm loving, that's one thing, and that's okay, that's good. The love we're talking about here is a love that reaches beyond. It doesn't matter if you love me or not, as long as you love God. That is a different thing. The world needs that. We could have people come here, we could say for a moment, for a season, hey, great, you guys are, you guys are welcome in our, our church community. We love you. And I think that's gonna be good. But what's gonna be better is if we have people come that say, I'm broken and I'm messy. And we say, hey, we're all sinners and Christ saves sinners. And you need to get connected with him. And they walk away from here and they say, hey, I was at a season, uh, for a season I was at Parkview Church, but I know God better. Wow, that is an outpost of hope. That's what we need to be. Not attendance, but formation. That's what we need to be measuring. So this is how we become this outpost of hope. This is how Hebrews gives us some of this language and some of this insight to be an outpost of hope. As we turn the corner here towards school, as we turn the corner toward the new academic calendar and and all of that, that that comes with the fall, I really hope that we are this. I want to increasingly become this kind of outpost of hope. We are going to have people checking us out. We are going to have people who are needing us. We're going to have people that we now need to invite to come to be a part of this because we've experienced this hope. Let's be that. This is, this is revolutionary. This will change a culture because it's founded in something far beyond us. It's founded in Jesus Christ, a real historical person who changes a spiritual reality in an ever-present way. So, Parkview North Campus, let's be that outpost of hope for the world. Let's lean into Christ and proclaim him daily to the world around us. And let's pray. May God help us with that. Let's pray.